Mr Speaker, this morning I had a meeting with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Lisa Nandy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Coalfield Communities Regeneration Programme breathed new life into places like Wigan after the devastation caused by the pit closures in the 80s. Michael Clapham's review is very welcome, but the decision to freeze its funding will devastate our economy all over again. Can he reassure my constituents that he isn't simply seeking to close down the coalfields all over again? Well, of course I can give the Honourable Lady that assurance. So let me first of all congratulate her on her election um, to, to this House and say how much we want to make sure that in spite of the difficult decisions we've had to make in the budget, that we go on helping and regenerating uh, communities that face difficulties. I know in Wigan for pit- in, in particular, I visited myself the site where the new Lads and Girls Club is going to be built. And I think that's an excellent uh, joint work between private and public sector. And we need many more projects like that and we'll have more to say that about that next week. And heart. Uh, Mr Speaker, um, the Prime Minister will be aware of the vital contribution of the 23,000 Territorial Army and other reservists who have fought in Afghanistan, Iraq and the Balkans in the last six years. Twenty-two have so far lost their lives in these operations, and those who survive are twice as likely to get post-traumatic stress disorder than their regular counterparts. What recognition and support can the Prime Minister give to the thousands of employers who routinely allow staff to volunteer, train and engage in reservist activity, and by doing so are now uh, critical to our military success in these operations? Well, I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise the contribution that our territorial army plays in serving our country. She is right to remind us of the figures which he quoted about how many people have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and there are some 600 volunteer reservists serving today. The point I would make to my honourable friend is standing up for our armed forces is not just a government responsibility, it's a social responsibility. It's something we should all do, and we should pay tribute to those businesses that help people to volunteer and take part, and we should remember their service in doing that as well. Harriet Harman. Mr Speaker, may I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Marine Paul Warren from 40 Commando Royal Marines who died on Monday and the member of 40 Commando Royal Marines who died yesterday. They fought with bravery and they died in the service of their country. Mr Speaker, the Chancellor announced yesterday the Government will bring forward relinking the basic state pension to earnings to 2011 rather than 2012. Can the Prime Minister tell us how much money the Treasury has set aside to pay for this next year? Actually, what the Chancellor did yesterday was more complex than that. He said, and it's a very important point, it's an extremely important point, and, and, and honourable members will want to listen to this, because we've got a triple lock in place to make sure that the upgrade of the pension is at the highest level possible. So next year, because of what we expect with RPI, the pension will be upgraded with RPI. So it will be an increase. And perhaps she could confirm, when she gets to the dispatch box the next time, that Labour's plans were to uprate bench pe- to uprate benefits by less than CPI. Speaker, there was nothing complicated at all about the question, but it was one that he didn't seem to want to answer. 
The answer is they haven't set aside one single penny for this big promise to pensioners. Next year, prices are due to go up more than earnings, so bringing forward the earnings links by year doesn't give pensioners anything extra. But though pensioners, though pensioners get nothing from that change, we all know they will pay more in VAT. The Chancellor promised to provide help for pensioners. Can he tell the House, and I'm sure the pensioners will want to know, and I'm sure Southwark Pensioners Action Group, SPAG, who the Honourable Member knows very well, SPAG will want to know, are pensioners better off or worse off as a result of this budget? Well, I have to say to the Honourable Lady, there is a danger in asking your second question without having listened to the first answer. <laughs> the first answer... Yes, the first answer is that the pension will be uprated by RPI, which is likely to be higher than earnings next year. In terms of, in terms of how much money... In terms of how much money we are putting into the state pension system over this... How much, she asks? £1 billion over the Parliament. And what a contrast, what a contrast. In 13 years, they never link the pension back to earnings. We've done it in two months. Harriet Harman. No, Mr Speaker, he is not being straight about this. He's not being straight about this, no. We know, we know there won't be any increase in your pension by linking it with earnings a year early. You won't benefit if you're a pensioner from the cut in tax from raising the personal allowance either, because you don't get that if you're over 65. But you will pay more VAT. The Chancellor promised to help pensioners. Won't he admit that pensioners will be worse off under his budget? Perhaps I could recommend to the Honourable Lady the Budget Red Book, although uh, in her case I suspect... I expect it is the unread book. Um, if, she looks, if she looks at page 41, she will see a billion pounds going into the state pension system, this parliament. And what a contrast. We all remember, we all remember the 75p increase for pensioners. Under, under our triple lock system, that can never happen again. Harriet Harman. Page... Item 48, basic state pension, introduce triple guarantee, money set aside, zero. Mr Speaker, he's not been straight about his promise to pensioners. Can I ask him about families with children? Families with children with an income less than £40,000 might be breathing a sigh of relief that they still have their tax credits, and that's what was on the news last, last night. But is that right? Can he confirm, as he promised in the election, that families on less than 40,000 won't lose their tax credit? But what we are doing is making sure. <laughs> what we are doing is.
is making sure that the less well-off families get the most money. What a contrast again. Since 2004, since 2004, child poverty went up 100,000 under a Labour government. In this budget, in this budget, child poverty does not go up by one single family. Again, he's not answering the question. He's not answering the question. The truth is that despite the Chancellor's promise, the budget's small print shows big cuts in the eligibility for tax credit. The Prime Minister promised no family on less than £40,000 a year would lose child tax credit. Will he admit that is not the case? And will he admit there are families on a joint income of £30,000 who will lose all their tax credits? The, the, the point the Honourable Lady has got to, the Honourable Lady has got to address is who left us in this mess? Yeah. Who, who left? Who left a budget deficit of £155 billion with absolutely no proposals to deal with it? Who put forward? Order, I apologise for interrupting the Prime Minister. This level of barracking is unacceptable, and I can tell the House it is detested by the electorate. It must stop. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Who put forward £50 billion of cuts without outlining a single penny piece? I have to say, the whole country can see what is happening here. One cut, one... Yeah. One party put us into this mess. Two parties are working together to get us out of it. Harriet Harman. I think, Mr Speaker, what the electorate detest is broken promises. And, and people... to know how his budget will affect them. He wasn't straight with pensioners. He wasn't straight with families. He wasn't straight on VAT. When the Chancellor got up to present his budget, he proclaimed, I'm not going to hide hard choices in the small print of the budget documents. You're going to hear them straight from me here in this speech. Isn't the truth? That was his first promise, and he broke it even before he sat down. The Right Honourable Lady talks about broken promises. Yeah. We remember no more boom and bust. What happened to that promise? We remember prudence with a purpose. What happened to that one? We remember we'll protect the poorest when they took away the 10p tax rate. The fact, the fact is, the Labour Party have got absolutely nothing to say about the biggest problem facing this country, which is a massive budget deficit. They might be adopting Greekonomics, but we're sorting out the problem. Paul Maynard. Given the size of the structural deficit that we have inherited, how many apologies has the Prime Minister received from members opposite for what they have left behind? First of all, can I welcome the Honourable Member, who I know will speak with great passion for his town of Blackpool, uh, and we should congratulate them on their success, uh, footballing success recently. And on that note, I'm sure the whole House will want to show their support, yes, yes including all members, uh, for the England team this afternoon in their key, key game. I haven't. 
uh, I haven't yet received a single apology for the appalling mess that we've been left, but at some stage the party opposite will have to wake up and realise what a mess they made of the British economy. Ms Karen Buck. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I ask the Prime Minister, will there be fewer police officers at the end of this Parliament compared with the number yes. we have today? Yes, there will. Well, what we want to do is... <laughs> Members opposite have got to start getting serious about the tasks that we face. We want to do everything we can to keep police officers on the streets, to have money going into our schools, to keep up spending on our hospitals, and the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we deal with the problems of excessive welfare spending. So if honourable members want to see police on the streets, if they want to see well-funded schools, they've got to back us on housing benefit. They've got to back us on welfare reform. That's the way we can keep spending up. Chris Pincher. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the Daily Mirror for highlighting the terrible 172% increase in unemployment in Tamworth during the recession? And further, will he encourage that august journal to place the responsibility for that grisly legacy squarely where it lies? I thank my honourable friend for his question. I think I'm right in saying that it was in Tamworth that I came face to face with the Daily Mirror chicken, uh, which was uh, one of the most enjoyable uh, episodes of the election. Um, uh, he's right about the unemployment. He's right about the unemployment figures, and one of the most important things we've got to do is introduce our work programme, which is going to be the biggest, boldest scheme in the history of this country to get people back to work. That's what needs to be done, and that is the best route out of poverty. Yeah. Chris Evans. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A 25% cut in public spending in Wales, together with a hike in VAT, will hit Wales especially hard. Will the Prime Minister now accept that he and his Liberal friends have let Wales down? No, I don't accept that at all. The worst thing for Wales would be to continue with this budget deficit, to continue with rising debt, and to see our economy slide down. The choice in terms of this budget is the road to recovery from this party or the road to ruin, which is being what's offered from the Labour Party. John Thurstow. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware of the interesting progress in the European project for fusion research of the opportunity for a materials testing facility to come to the United Kingdom and of the suitability of Dunray to deliver that work? Will the Government support such an application? Yes. Well, my honourable friend speaks uh, with great knowledge about these scientific issues, and it is important that we lead in these areas. His own constituency with Dune Ray has obviously got a huge technical edge in these things, and I will take his uh, representations very seriously. Amala Nash. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, I'm sure you're aware of the Send My Friend to School campaign, which my young constituents at Victoria Primary School in Airdrie um, are involved in and will be writing to you about in this week. Um, it aims to ensure that this government commits to the £8.5 billion that was committed by the previous Labour government, um, directing it towards universal primary education by 2015. And this will be discussed at the Education Summit in South Africa on the 7th of July, tied in with the World Cup. Has the Prime Minister personally spoken to President Zuma and other African leaders about their pledges? And can, you con and can the Prime Minister confirm that the review of DFID's funding will not, um, will not compromise our pledge? Thank you. Can I first of all welcome the Honourable Lady, who I think I'm right in saying is the youngest member of this House of Commons on her election. Uh, she's quite right to raise the issue of the Millennium Development Goals and of aid spending. And I think it is good that it is common cause across the House of Commons that in spite of the very difficult 
difficult decisions we're going to have to take, that we should meet that target of 0.7% of gross national income. We are committed to doing that, and that means we can go on supporting the poorest people in the poorest countries, and we'll be addressing those issues at the G8 uh, this weekend in Canada. Graham Evans. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, there was support on all sides of the House for raising income tax threshold by £1,000. Does the Prime Minister agree that a government which does that has to explain where the money is coming from? I think my honourable friend makes a very good point. I did notice yesterday that I think everyone in the House supported the idea of raising the income tax threshold so we take 880,000 people out of tax altogether. But if you're going to support a pledge like that, which could cost as much as £4 billion, you've got to say where the money is coming from. And so far, we have not heard one penny piece of one saving from anyone on the Labour front bench. Not a single one. And in terms of the leadership election, it doesn't matter who it is, they are not giving any figures for where they would find the cuts from. And until they do that, they simply won't be taken seriously. Mr David Crosby. The building work for the new £20 million maternity super centre in Bolton is pretty well finished. Uh, But can I be assured that the government's decision uh, to review the making it better programme in Greater Manchester will not affect the expansion and particularly the funding of Bolton's Princess Anne maternity unit? Absolutely nobody is proposing closing the new unit that has been uh, set up, but I think the honourable gentleman will know that in the last Parliament, the decisions about Greater Manchester that were taken caused a huge amount of, of pain in that vital part of our country. And what my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, is doing is asking the NHS to make sure that we are meeting the needs of patients locally, rather than just having these top-down reviews that lead to the closure of much-loved units. Mr Andrew Salou. Could my right honourable friend tell the House what discussions he's had with the US administration to ensure that BP remains a strong and viable company? I'm grateful to my honourable friend for raising this point. I've had uh, two discussions so far uh, with President Obama. I had a very good telephone call with him again uh, last night. The point I made, particularly in the earlier phone call, is the importance of, yes, of course, BP itself wants to pay for the clean-up, wants to stop uh, the gushing of the oil into the Gulf, recognises it's going to have to pay money in respect of fishermen and others who have lost, lost their livelihoods. But we do want to make sure that this remains a strong and stable company for our benefit but also for the benefit of the United States. Over 40% of its shareholders, I believe, are US shareholders, 39% here in the UK, and it employs more people in the US than it does in the UK. So it's in all our interests. This company is strong and secure for the future. Helen Goodman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Chancellor of the Exchequer told the House that by April 2012, there would be no more children living in poverty than there are today. Unfortunately, two-thirds of the cuts in tax credits and benefits come after that date. Could the Prime Minister give the House his forecast for the number of children living in poverty by the end of the Parliament? What I would say to the Honourable Lady is this. For the first time in any budget, certainly since I've been in the House, have we actually published the distributional tables of what happens to income. Labour never, ever did it. So we've done it for 2012-2013. In terms of what happens towards the end 
end of the Parliament, I'm pleased to say there are going to be at least another three coalition budgets, which we are looking forward to introducing to make sure that we go on, we go on to protect the poorest in our country. Mr. Peter Bone. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, in the closing days of the last Parliament, Anthony Steen trafficked through the House at the anti-slavery day to highlight the problems of human trafficking. The government is required to announce a day for anti-slavery day. What progress has been made on that front? Um, my honourable friend makes a very good point. I admired the work that Anthony Steed did in this area. Uh, we haven't set a date, and he gives me an important reminder that I must get back to my office and make sure that we do. David Cairns. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, for over 20 years, Sky News has provided an excellent source of impartial news and analysis. Can he give a guarantee that whoever ends up owning B Sky B, it will not be allowed to turn into Fox News and that there is no room here for shouty reactionary propaganda passing itself off as fair and balanced news? Um, the very idea of shouty reactionary propaganda being passed in the House of Commons is such an appalling thought that I'm sure uh, we all recognise these are, are matters for uh, my right honourable friend, the, the uh, trade and industry, the business, the business secretary, who will be looking at this matter very closely. Matthew Hancock. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister, can the Prime Minister tell us that um, until the budget yesterday, the benefits for some of the poorest in society were going to be increased at a rate less than inflation and therefore be cut in real terms. Oh. Oh. My friend makes an excellent point, which is the Labour Party's plans, the Labour government's plans, were to increase benefits by less than consumer price inflation next year. They left a 300... They don't know this, the dupes behind the front bench, but that's what... Um, a 300... A 300. I think. I think. I think dupes is an accurate description of what I'm looking at because it was a three. It was a 300 million pound black hole, and you don't have to be a Star Trek fan to know that when you're in a black hole, you should stop digging. Fiona McTaggart. In the interests of informing dupes behind. informing the dupes behind either front bench and in response to his answer to my honourable friend from Bishop Auckland, will he agree to publish the tables for the years following the table that's been published, the very welcome the table in the Red Book, so that we can advise him how to improve the impact of his policies on child poverty. Yeah. <laughs> well, what a pity the Honourable Lady never made this point in 13 years of government. Yeah. Where, where were the distributional tables in those budget after budgets that we had to sit, the poor dupes of us who were sitting in the back listening uh, to the Honourable Member Kokodi give uh, over and over again? We've published this table for the first time. Between now and the years the Honourable Lady talks about, there will be further budgets where we'll make further progress in helping the poorest families in our country. Yeah. Julian Huppert. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with several generals, many members of the public and myself, 
that Trident should be included in the Strategic Defence and Security Review? Does he agree that if there is a case for retaining it, that would come out in the review, and if there isn't a case, then it shouldn't be kept? Yes. Um, I, I know my right hon. Friend will know this was carefully negotiated in the coalition agreement between our two parties. My view is very clear that Britain should retain the nuclear deterrent, that we should always keep that insurance policy against great danger. And while I think there is a case for looking at the costs of the Trident system and seeing how we can bear down on those costs, I don't believe that we should have the wider review he speaks about. The Reverend William McRae. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday we were told that resolute action was necessary to deal decisively with our country's death. Does the Prime Minister believe that it is acceptable that members' allowances are being paid to members of this House who do not take their seats nor do they participate in the work of this House? When will this injustice be remedied as he promised before the election? The Honourable Gentleman makes a, a very good point, and it's on the record. My views about this issue are on the record, and they haven't changed. I would like us to look and see if we can uh, make the argument in a way where there isn't a case uh, for, for Sinn Féin members not to take their seats. I think at the moment we let them off the hook. So I would like to re-examine this argument and see if we can find a new way of doing this. Guy Opperman. Mr Speaker, Saturday is Armed Forces Day. In my constituency of Hexham in Northumberland, we have hundreds of Royal Artillery servicemen recently returned from Afghanistan who will receive the freedom of the town and then when off duty will receive multiple discounts from dozens of stores, restaurants and pubs who are doing their bit locally. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is the duty of everyone, not just in this House, but all around the country, to go the extra mile and show the gratitude that we all hold to our brave troops? I very much agree with my honourable friend. As I said earlier, this is something the whole country needs to do, not just the government. Yes, we have our responsibilities to make sure we're living up to the military covenant, that we're doing all we can for our armed forces and their families, but it's something communities, individuals and businesses can do too. I understand that in Hexham there's going to be a nine-hour forces celebration and when off duty there'll be discounts, as he says, from restaurants and pubs, so I expect it may get a little bit lively and I'm sure he'll join in the fun. Mr Angus Roberts. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. A consequence of yesterday's budget and the VAT rise is £26.5 million of new overheads for the NHS in Scotland. Having promised to ring-fence health spending, will the Treasury now cover these costs, or will this be another broken promise, just like the Lib Dem opposition to a VAT rise before the election? What I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman is, of course, our action on national insurance contributions has actually saved the NHS money, and that's money that wouldn't be available under a Labour government. And the point I would make, which benefits Scotland, the fact we are protecting the NHS and NHS spending means that money will be available in Scotland as well. And I have to say this, the Shadow Health Secretary has now said that health shouldn't be protected, that the NHS should be cut. That is now, take note, the official position and the Leader of the Opposition is nodding, cutting the NHS is now official Labour policy. Dr Julian Lewis, number 13, Mr Speaker. 
Um, I thank the honourable gentleman for his, his question. We are conducting a counter-insurgency operation in Afghanistan, and he asked specifically about the military purpose of routine foot and vehicle patrols in Afghanistan. If you're going to win a counter-insurgency, if you're going to succeed in what is called a war amongst the people, you have to be amongst the people, protecting the people from the insurgents. That's how we're going to create a more stable and peaceful Afghanistan, one from which we will be able to return, leaving the Afghan forces in control. Dr Julian Lewis. Will the Prime Minister accept that there are other ways of fighting counterinsurgencies which do not involve sending out uniformed personnel along predictable routes day after day to be sniped at and blown up? And will he request his military advisers to focus on long-term strategies that could achieve our strategic aims without having to pay such an unnecessarily high price? Well, I, I know my honourable friend takes a very close interest in these matters, and I've arranged for him to meet uh, with senior officials uh, and military advisers so that he can explore his ideas uh, with them. All, all I would say is this, is that I think that the, the team that President Obama has put in place, and the team we have in place in terms of both uh, military and civilian leaders, have actually brought great impetus to this campaign. And I think that it is difficult to see, if you're trying to fight, fight a counterinsurgency, how you can do that without actually having a number of active patrols to protect the people from the insurgents. Order, I gently remind the House that this is a closed question on Afghanistan. Does anybody wish to come in on it? <laughs> no. Mr Jonathan Evans. Mr Speaker, bearing in mind the position... Sorry. Uh, bear, bearing, in mind, bearing in mind the opposition's claim that, you, that in Europe... Britain is now isolated, would my right honourable friend please indicate how on earth it was that he managed to secure both French and German agreement to the announcement in relation to the bank levy in the budget yesterday? My, my honourable friend makes an excellent point. In the budget yesterday, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, announced unity between the French and the Germans and the British about introducing a bank levy. As actually is the case that the one group of people who are isolated and saying you have to wait for the rest of the world before we can ask our banks to make a proper contribution is the party opposite. Once again, no proposals to fill the enormous black hole that on this side of the House we're getting to grips with. Yeah. Anne Maguire. Mr. Speaker, the ONS uh, reported that while the richest 10% spent a pound in every £25 of their income on VAT, the poorest 10% spent £1 in every £7 of their income in VAT, on VAT. How then can the Prime Minister justify his oft-repeated refrain that we are all in this together? Yeah. Well, what I'd say to the Honourable Lady, uh, it's an important point, and in the Red Book it sets this out, is that the richest 10% will pay in cash terms 15 times as much in VAT as the poorest 10%. And the important point to, to take into account is to look at the budget as a whole. And in the budget as a whole, you can see the richest pay the most, both in cash terms and as a percentage of their income. What we have done through massively increasing child tax credits is to make sure there is no increase in child poverty. What a contrast with the figures since 2004. The Labour Party put up child poverty by 100,000. That's the difference. Order. 